bunch of compliments to the chef. Episode three. We're rocking and rolling. We're really in this now. We, no one can say we don't have a weekly podcast. Absolutely not. And the scale is bigger than ever. We have our first massive uh, elimination challenge. Um, I can't wait to get into it, Nancy. So let's do it. Before we dive in, let's heat up some leftovers from last week. A new segment. Uh, a new segment, um, which is basically our version of a fact check. Uh, so we like to make wild and uh, completely unsubstantiated claims, but we're actually happy to report back that this time it's more of a confirmation that we were right. Um, so I'll kick things off, actually, uh, starting with the um, eating before swimming. So if you remember last time, my judge's table centered on just like food in the pool, generally disgusting. Um, so eating before swimming, did a little research. It is in fact a myth. Um, but the origin of this information, which a lot of us grew up with, is actually a Boy Scout handbook from the year 1908, um, which warned that if you didn't wait 90 minutes, uh, you could drown and it, and it would be your fault. Um, kind of an interesting turn of phrase. I don't know. It's very intense. So, uh, anyways, that has since been disproven in a lot of different ways, this Article. And it would be your fault is the funniest because the yeah. Boy Scouts, they're all about like accountability. Like only you have yourself to survive. And it's I, like if you're in the wilderness and going in the water at 89 minutes is what takes you out, then you were never meant to be a Boy Scout in the first place, no, my guy. you honestly weren't meant to live. <laughs> yeah, like you would not survive one minute in the zombie apocalypse. Survival of the fettest. <laughs> um, all right so that anyways that was me closing the loop on that uh, okay well i also have a leftover to heat up which is the golden delicious apple you may recall on last episode i said that the golden delicious apple is like a completely invented strain and it was a proprietary technology and turns out i got that mba from columbia for a reason because i'm right the golden <laughs> delicious apple is a hybrid cultivated apple in the united states um, it is the 15th most popular, mind you, in the world. Um, the original Golden Delicious apple tree was invented on the family farm of J.M. Mullins in Clay County, West Virginia. And it was locally known as Mullins Yellow Seedling because Ooh. the apples were so golden. Um, it became very popular and... Uh, it was such a protected technology that Mullins went so far as to create this giant cage structure. You can Google this, listeners, that with, it was protected under lock and key so people could not come and steal his apples and cultivate the tree themselves. Um, so we have early uh, examples of IP law in the United States. How fascinating. Um, Mullins sold the tree in 1914. And, and propagation rights to the Stark Brothers Nurseries for $5,000 in 1914, which marketed uh, the Stark Brothers Nurseries had invented the Red Delicious Apple wow. on their own, and they bought the Golden Delicious for a price of $5,000, which in 2024, that $5,000 would equal $153,000. How do you like them, them apples? apples? Exactly. It's incredible. What a cool story. Also, it should be noted that as a result of this, the Golden Delicious Apple is the state fruit of West Virginia. Wow. Oh my God. That's actually really fun. Like, the more you know. So remember, kids, heat up your leftovers. Heat them up. Uh, amazing. Uh, delicious. <laughs> absolutely delicious. Golden delicious. Let's get on with it. 
here we are, episode three, Las Vegas. Quick fire reaction to the episode bits. What do you think? Um, I love it. You know what? I love uh Main reason, we have our first kind of like massive scale audience challenge. So we'll get into more details, but this uh, episode, the chefs had to cook for 300. And I love that. I love the way that they have to change their process, their prep, everything to kind of meet that challenge. Um, You know, we've mentioned this before. We have seen Top Chef. And so uh, I, I actually think that like as we've gotten later in seasons and now you know the most recent season being season 20 you see a lot less of these like large scale kind of like uh challenge production challenge it was yeah and we'll talk about it when we talk about how this was judged but it was not a team challenge it was a group challenge they were all tasked with accomplishing something together i love which you don't see a lot of these days no um i similarly love this challenge one or one of this episode something that i loved about it was the mystery they went in completely blind. It could not be a more level playing field. I really love when they do that to the chefs. It was also, it was fun. You change up the setting. You get the Thunderbirds. Yep. Like, it was just great energy all around. You got a little, you know, patriotic heart uh, strings there. So, we loved it. But, let's start at the beginning of the episode. Let's get into it. Quick fire. We have a guest judge coming in, Mark Peel, which... Um, Nancy, are we seeing a bit of nominative determinism here? Uh, Mark Peel, best known for working under Wolfgang Puck and self-proclaimed vegetable guy who's yeah. worked with a lot of potatoes. So he's kind of the perfect guy for this particular job and the perfect guy for his particular name, I would say. Yeah, um, I will know. I did a quick little search on Mark Peel. Um, he is the ex-husband of acclaimed chef Nancy Silverton, wow. which is a really cool fun fact. Um, he won a James Beard Award in 2001. He was one of the pioneers of California cuisine, mm. uh, a cuisine that was very revered at this time. And all around incredible guy. He unfortunately passed away at a very young age in 2021, age 66. Um, he had a beautiful obituary in the New York Times, if anyone wants to go read that. But it, he really was a celebrated chef who um, just was an enormous influence on the food world of the that of that moment um i would also just like to take a quick moment as we go into this potato quick fire to talk about how my what my father refers to as our friend the potato the humblest of ingredients it is a an ingredient that unites most european cultures european led cultures um and it is just such a unifying ingredient i think we can all agree that we love our friend, the potato. We love the potato. And I actually had a note here. Nancy, you know, this is you. You have this quick fire challenge. You have 45 minutes to cook a potato. How are you cooking that potato? Ooh, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about this. This is really off the cuff. Um, I have recently adopted a recipe from my mother that I love. It's a potato recipe where you take um, Yukon Golds, which, and you try to get sort of smaller ones. You can get some bigger ones, but you truly just put them whole in the pot in a giant pot with so much butter mm. and you keep it like low and slow with tons of butter and salt and pepper and you just keep adding it and mixing it you let them sit probably for like 40 minutes and they get a little brown on the bottom you stir it up the other side gets a little brown and then at the very end you dump in a bunch of spices whatever you have or herbs whatever mm-hmm. you have around so you can throw in some parsley some chives some dill um maybe 
who knows, a little rosemary if you're feeling crazy. Tarragon. Um, And you just mix it all up and they're salty and buttery. Like Mm. the butter that permeates these potatoes, it is delectable. And if you're feeling a little crazy, if you're nasty, you can like smush a few so that they get a little crispy. That's how I would do it. I love that. I love that. I think um, I'm a little split. I would say first initial reaction, uh, I love a pan of Greek lemony uh, potatoes. Um, so I'm cutting those up again. I'm I'm going with um, yellow yellow skin potatoes, um, creamers if you will, and I'm going chicken stock, lemon, drowning them in lemon, uh, slow and low, and getting that like nice yeah nice caramelized edge. I guess um, slow and low is not really the nature of a quick fire. We both went to long yeah. form. We did. We went long. <laughs> yeah, and, and Jen's first comment actually in this quick fire is. 40 minutes to cook potatoes, or maybe, sorry, it was 30 minutes, whatever the time frame was, is not a lot mm-hmm. of time to cook potato. Potatoes, notoriously long prep time. Yep. So uh, that's very interesting. But the other thing that I'll say is interesting about the dishes you and I just conjured up, or is there, they are just potato dishes. It's a side dish. Yeah. Of course, for a quick fire, they're making a full dish. Yep. So, um... I guess we'd be disqualified, but that's why we're not on the show. <laughs> and the potato certainly comes through as a star for a lot of these folks. We have a lot of diversity, too. We've got ice cream. We've got soup. We've got our very first risotto of this, of this ding, season. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, Mike and I making a potato risotto. We got gnocchi. Um, and we also got a bunch of pot drama. Yes. Uh, we got a lot of blanching drama. Um, so Preeti, um, Kevin, I love Kevin. I really, you know, I have such a soft spot for him, so he can do no wrong in my eyes. And he didn't do any wrong. In fact, he did something incredibly nice, which was he finished with his blanching water, and so he said, Preeti, mine's already boiling. You can use it. And she said, thanks. And she says that she got confused, although I'm sure, you know, in the heat of the moment she did, but she ends up putting her asparagus in Ashley's boiling water, which Ashley's going to be using for her gnocchi. And gnocchi incredibly delicate um they absorb really anything that you put on them and so mm. to put asparagus which have such a pungent mm-hmm. such a concentrated flavor in water i mean we've all experienced what asparagus does in water yeah. about 45 minutes after eating asparagus that is not acceptable yeah. that would completely overtake and saturate ashley's gnocchi yeah so huge huge error and then ashley now needs to boil water and cook her gnocchi in 13 minutes which is incredibly challenging it's incredible that she got something on the plate it's wild and and she gets something on the plate and even more than that she ends up getting you know one of the uh, judge's favorite dishes on the plate i was really happy to see her succeed after that i actually love uh mark peel when he takes a bite and he goes you made this ricotta like, it was, like, the most complimentary, accusatory, like, he was shook about it. I need to look up how to make ricotta because I'm always, like, when you can make burrata at home, you can make all this stuff at home, and maybe I'm just incredibly naive, but, like, I thought to make cheese was a real process. So I'm going to look up how to make ricotta and maybe yeah. come back to you next time on that one. Um, but I also loved that Jen, in her confessional piped up in the Preeti drama and she was just like I would not have been as nice as Ashley and Ashley was really laying into Preeti so I'd love to see what Jen would have done to her Um, but yeah clearly a huge error Um, other dishes we saw in this quick fire that were interesting Eli okay question about Eli's dish because he used pistachios 
And oh Padma found a shell yep. in her pistachio, but he says that he used shelled pistachios. Clearly, they're in the kitchen. How do you feel this reflects on Eli? Do you think that Padma is going to say, well, you know, you should have checked each and every one to make sure there wasn't a shell? But in a quick fire, can you really expect them to do I mean, something like the that? The thing is, like, I'm also pulling on my, uh, you know, past experiences with shelled pistachios. I can't, I, I don't think I've ever encountered a, a shell in a bag of shelled pistachios. So, so do you think he lied? Well, no, I, I don't think he lied so much as, like, I think he's thinking the odds are in his favor, like, there's not going to be a problem here. Yes, yeah, he, you know, took the label at face value of, this yeah. is a shelled pistachio. Yeah, so I, I felt for him in that moment, but, um, but yeah, so we had some really strong, uh, we had some folks on the bottom, of course, Eli, with his kind of yam faux marshmallow was a little too sweet, we had Ron, who had some bland fish, uh, Jesse actually went way too spicy. We didn't see chicken, but we had really spicy soup. And Heavy the, on the cayenne. Yeah, they were not loving that. But, no. you know, conversely, we had a lot of great stuff happening at the top. We had Ash with a custard. Much to his surprise, he was on the top. He looked befuddled. He loved... I, I was really delighted for him in that yeah, moment. I was too. Um, and as we mentioned... Um, Ashley had one of the, one of the strongest dishes as well. Um, and then and Jen, Jen, mussels, we haven't seen any red meat proteins from her, no chicken. The other thing I will say about Jen's dish, Jen's dish in, dish, in addition to mussels, contained duck fat, butter, and creme fraiche. Wow. She is trying to give those judges a heart attack. Oh my God, that is, I bet just, of course it's delicious. It's like the most delicious fats on the planet Earth all in one dish. No surprise they liked it, but my gosh, that is a dish of the early aughts. You would yes. not find that anymore. Unbelievable. Well, so let's let's keep on moving. Let's Well, chat. actually, sorry. I do want to quickly round out the discussion of the quick fire to Mike Isabella's reaction to the quick fire. Oh. So you get a talking head from Mike Isabella after Chen wins, and he says, quote, it's favoritism, but whatever. He, to me, is so lame. Like, he is so deeply insecure. He clearly just is so entitled and thinks he's on top just because he is him. He's Mike Isabella. Of course, he's the best. He cannot in any way fathom that he just didn't make a dish that was as good as Jen's or that maybe Jen is inherently a better cook than he is. He is, he goes, so I'll put a little potato broth on my plate and I'll win. You didn't. Yeah. You could have. You could (laughs) have. You didn't think of it. You didn't execute it. You didn't do it, my guy. Like, just... Stop bringing people down to compensate for your own insecurities. Yeah. I find him truly so pathetic. Obviously entertaining. And like you can't do anything but laugh at the guy. But you know, I just am really disheartened by his continuous lack of self-awareness in this regard. Yeah. And you know, it continues throughout the episode. Which oh yeah, we'll see. we get a lot of that. We'll, we'll see Let's a lot of that. Let's talk about the elimination challenge now. So elimination challenge. Uh, create a meal for 300 airmen. Um, so we have a mix of returning and departing. We've got folks, and I actually love this. Um, I, I didn't write down the gentleman's name who came in and kind of teed up the challenge, but uh, he made a great point, which is like a lot of these guys and gals have been stationed all over the world. They've got discerning taste, um, and they've got, quote, nutritional needs. So um, I loved this challenge. Uh, and one thing uh, also, kind of to caveat all of this, sort of the hook um, they don't know what the cooking setup is going to be on site. Um, so that makes meal planning tough. Um, as you mentioned and, and noted earlier, um, you know, I went into this thinking, and again, this is a all team challenge. So every all the chef testants got to work together. 
I, I hear that and my first thought is like, okay, so how is this different from any other challenge? I'm confused because at the end of the day, everybody's going to make some, be responsible for some dish. Um, and then I kind of quickly realized, and we'll chat about this, but once they get kind of boots on the ground, like there's a lot more kind of camaraderie that has to come into play. People floating, people supporting here and there, picking up slack. Uh, I absolutely loved it. Um, we get, uh, the team kind of really quickly gels around and approach, uh, Jen, uh, taking sort of like lead executive chef role. And then we see the rest of the 14 chefs sort of divide off into pairs. Uh, so we got seven pairs. Um, it was interesting. They sort of bent the rules on this one. I wonder mm-hmm. if they had to ask production permission for this because Jen did not cook. She had immunity, so right. there's no way she's going home, but she didn't even like, she took herself out of the running in a sense. I wonder if. You know, producers sort of realize the loophole that this yeah. group found. And from now on, like, everyone needs to make a dish every episode. You can't even... Because truly, then, if you have immunity, you could... It sets a precedent right. for, well, I'm just not even going to do it. I'm going to take the day off and sleep. Yeah. Um, which Jen did not... By the way, Jen pulled her weight. She was, I think, the reason why they did so well. So there's in no way to underplay her contribution right. to the challenge. But I do think it's interesting that she did not produce a single dish. And I wonder if the production team for seasons going forward realized like, that loophole. Everybody's got it. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. Um, let's talk about some of the pairings yes. in this episode. Preeti goes, makes a beeline for Lorene, which I thought was Right, because they strange. had the San Francisco thing. Which... It was, to me, very light on the connection yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... Kevin and Eli, the Pickle Brothers. The Pickle Brothers, <laughs> at it again, yeah. I love them, and I love that Kevin said, it with complete seriousness, I think we bond on a fat kid level as well. <laughs> it was just so sweet and endearing. I love Kevin. He is my favorite. I will go to war for that man. Yep. But the other pairing that I really want to talk about, Mike I and Mike V. Oh, yeah. Once again, Mike I being just the lamest guy around. Yeah. <laughs> like... I have some thoughts on this. It is so clear that Mike Voltaggio, in addition to being an excellent chef, is cool. He's got swagger. He's got charisma. People clearly gravitate towards him. He's someone who Mike I thinks he is. Yes. Mike I thinks that his boisterous, loud personality is charisma, but it's not. It's not attractive. It's not magnetic. It's just sweaty and loud. It's just sweaty and loud. To me, like... Mike is literally the kid in high school who was like, where's the party? Where's the party? Where's the party? Like, yes. he knew it was happening and you had to invite him because he had an older brother who could, like, get you a keg. So, like, there was an <laughs> obligation there. But, like, he was so annoying at the party. Yes. Like, he'd get too drunk. But, like, you just sort of had to tolerate him. Well, and it's funny, too. So that pairing happens. And then you can tell that Brian Voltaggio is like, it's fine. Like, it's fine. I don't need to work with my brother. Like, he clearly was kind of thinking he was going to pair up with his brother. And then, of course, like... You know, Mike gets involved. Honestly, I'll say that these sort of like self-organized, self-find-your-partner like are the most anxiety-inducing moments for me. I would much rather draw knives. Yes. Um, I would much rather get a random pairing because like at the end of the day, all I could think about was like if I'd only chosen differently. And um, and we get some crazy pairs too. We've got um, uh, Hector and Robin. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, Ron and Jesse. Um, and I actually thought a great pairing, Ash and Ashley on dessert. They were really fun to watch. They were fun to watch. They clearly are friends, like, and they essentially have the same name. So it's fabulous. Um, yeah, the, (laughs) the brothers, God, sorry. I just think Mike, I just is so desperate to be cool. And like, he clearly wants to be a Voltage, but sorry, Mike, you ain't. 
Um, but yeah, so let's talk about one of the funniest lines, I think, in Top Chef history. And that line is, the defining moment for me that I knew I wanted to be a chef was 9-11. Was 9-11. <laughs> and who said it? Preeti. Preeti. I mean, this woman is such a wild card to me. First, she has pot drama in the quick fire. Then, and she didn't even say like, you know, I went to ground zero and I cooked for the first responders. She just said, everybody react to that day in a different way. And mine was, I just wanted to cook. Like... Do you think this is bad production or do you think that she actually means that? I, I don't know. I have to imagine that they asked every chef, like, the... What does 9-11 mean to yes, you? Yes, like, right. Because, I, I mean, we're talking within, like, in eight... We're, like, eight years out from 9-11 at this point. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I think, honestly, like, probably everybody had a garbage answer and hers was the least garbage. And so they're like, <laughs> yeah, throw, throw that one in. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, very... You know, whatever. That's, that's great. That's cool. <laughs> Um, but you know what, the thing, the, the sort of like juxtaposition of hearing that and then her putting out a pasta salad, like, I don't know, there was some <laughs> disconnect there. I'm like, okay. Her whole episode was a mess, crash and burn to the end. Right. But okay, let's talk about the chefs. There's a ton of mystery, but they have a strategy about how they're going to approach the day. They get to the airbase and they see a kitchen that is full of a ton of canned foods, yeah. but also some fresh produce, but not much. A lot of meat that they all need to butcher, like bulk, large cuts. Mm -hmm. And then the kitchen setup itself, I think there's only one burner. Ovens, giant woks. Did you see those? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And no no stoves or pots? Exactly. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, why can't you have a stove? I don't know. It's, I I don't think it's like that they can't. Yeah, probably. Uh, um it just i have no idea why you couldn't have a stove honestly but um this industrial kitchen is not the top chef kitchen no and so but they all have the same ingredients to work with and i think it's a beautiful leveling of the playing field i absolutely loved that so let's talk about some of the dish let's just do a rundown of the dishes and then let's talk about how you know they came to life so first we have um brian doing a steak preparation of course Mm -hmm. We've got Ron and Jesse doing a chowder. We've got... Okay, can I just interject (laughs) on the chowder of it all? If you were to put a gun to my head and ask me the most disgusting food to eat before flying a jet, can you... A jet that goes faster than the sound barrier and famously people like lose their lunch going making those huge parabolas. Like I... There is no amount of money you can pay me to down a bowl of hot clam chowder inside a probably 80 degree airline hangar and by the way the clams not fresh no (laughs) oh my god i just was like what like there wasn't enough that that didn't get enough heat in my mind but anyways okay keep let's keep running oh my gosh okay yeah so then we have hector and robin chili then we have lorene and preeti's uh pasta salad Mm -hmm. we have kevin and eli's pork shoulder and then we have mike and mike making um a pork belly lettuce wrap and mike's mike isabella's shrimp greek salad yeah so that's the rundown of the dishes uh yeah let's get into the ones we want to talk about i think straight after the clam chowder let's put chili yeah now listeners you might not know this i'm a bit of a chili snob i am the chili queen of new york city i have been doing chili night 11 years running and I have a lot of thoughts about chili. 
Um, but the one thing I will say is that there's no way that theirs is as good as mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and in, uh, I can't agree more, but uh, the judges did seem to like it, it It clearly was good, fine, but you know, I just like to go up against Hector in yeah. uh, Chile off because I think I'd win. Well, yeah, that goes without saying. I, I think, uh, I really liked their use of the celery leaves yep. to kind of substitute herbs. I thought that was smart. Very smart. Um, but, and I, so on the... The last thing I want is a bowl of clam chowder. I think Gail put it perfectly when she said, Mm -hmm. I don't mind eating spicy chili on a hot day, but I do mind eating creamy chowder on a hot day. And I think that was a good distinction because you could, you know, say, well, chili is just as bad as chowder. But Gail's distinction, I think, really outlines why one was successful and one. I mean, they were both good dishes, but just. Maybe not what they would have done with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the, the next I have here is, you know, Mike V, Mike I. We've kind of mentioned them already a bit. But, um, you know, the first thing I see I, it makes me a little nervous is that um, Mike Voltaggio is, is pretty adamant about having guests kind of construct that pork belly wrap uh, right as they're getting, uh, getting it on their plate. And that always makes me a little nervous because that can always go wrong. It's, it's a bit of a toss-up, right? It's like if you build the bite too soon does it get soggy does it dry out um but he went for it and i think it paid off the judges loved it um the airmen loved it uh i I I thought it looked great that brings our kind of like seasoned bacon counter up to two um so we have bacon lot in our first episode we've got bacon in the third episode so we're keeping an eye on that oh something to note no ceviches in this episode. No ceviche, but we do have shrimp. <laughs> Again, and that was Mike I's downfall. No um, one can do shrimp on this season. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, but yeah, so th- those, you know, strong showing for Mike Voltaggio. Um, but I, I, you know, I think the standout in my mind, or, or, or the, the, the dish I saw and I was like, there's no way this doesn't go well, is Eli and Kevin. Um, the Georgia-style braised pork shoulder and the potato salad. Um Got a lot of uh, got a lot of love on that. Um, Kevin clearly is like cooking from like familial roots. Um, I just thought that they nailed that one. You gotta have that if you're if you're, if you're cooking also, a barbecue. You gotta have that. Yes, it also looked the best. Like yeah. of all the dishes, I was so impressive with with what they were able to pull off. Um, and I think that they just absolutely crushed it. Other dishes of note. Okay, Brian. Who is his partner? Why would a Brian cook with him? Metten. Steak and potatoes. Yeah. Once again, this is his third preparation yeah. of steak and potatoes on this show. The same way that Jen has done fish for every dish, he's done yeah. steak and potatoes for every dish. I will say Jen has done different fishes and different preparations of fish, but Brian is just, you know, such... He's so narrow-minded. Like, yeah. It's You're not, out for blood on Brian. I know, and I feel kind of bad because I actually like him. I find him endearing. And in this rewatch, I just am frustrated by how much of a Boy Scout he is. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a bit... Um, I just... I know he has more, and I want him yeah. to do better. Totally. And I know, that. again, this gets into the fact that we've seen all these seasons. He does come back and have an exceptional performance. So I think I just... My most recent memory of Brian Voltaggio is his All-Stars performance, and I love that Brian. Mm-hmm. And I wish that this were that Brian, but it takes time to grow into that. Yeah. It does. Um, and then, of course, like rounding out the station, we have Ash and Ashley on dessert. Uh, chocolate bread pudding with peanut butter sauce. Damn. I mean... Delicious. That it seems to have good. tasted like a Reese's Pieces. Yeah. And I think the judges were appreciative that they got a dessert, and I think that they knew they weren't going to judge it too harshly because, you know... 
they, yeah. it was good. They got it out. The like, you know, they gave it the good college try, and they didn't mess it up in any significant way. Yeah, and I, I actually think we're seeing a. Now this is the second dessert from Ashley, maybe more. She she went for oh, the she panna, panna cotta. cotta. You're right. Um, so I'm I'm glad that there's I like when there's somebody who kind of like is willing to do that. Yeah. Uh, yes. Totally. I completely agree. Um. So so yeah, we had some delicious meals. Um. Let's take it to judges' table. So, uh, in the top we've got Eli and Kevin. Um. We got Mike V and Mike I. Um, and I think the thing that was really cool about Mike V's dishes, he actually mentioned that that was just whole slab bacon and Tom loved that. He's yes. like, that's really cool. <laughs> yes. Tom really, Tom is vibing with Mike V. It's very obvious. Another thing I want to mention about, um, Kevin in this judge's table, Kevin very humbly lets out that his family is, competes in barbecue competitions and wins. Like, he just dropped that one and no one was expecting it. And I thought it was incredible I that he was that. just like, yeah, my family's really into competitive barbecue. Brilliant. He knows what he's doing. And he said, this is what we do when you need, when you don't have enough time to make pulled pork. And it was the perfect thing to do. I think as I have kept harping on these past three episodes, Judge's Table is about seeing when someone is given criticism or feedback, whether it be positive or negative, how they react. And I think Kevin and the, what they're looking for is not necessarily like the right answer. They want to see how that person behaves and yeah. absorbs it. And Kevin, I think, just displays so many um, qualities of a top chef. Yeah. He's humble. He's competent. He is assertive when he needs to be and knows what he does well and is not, you know, boastful or prideful about it the way Mike Isabella is. Yeah, he, he respects the game and he kind of like respects like the unspoken... He's someone you'd follow into battle to use a very cheesy like, you know, <laughs> metaphor for this episode. Like, I would put a lot of faith in him to run a kitchen in a smart and yeah. effective way. I, I think the thing I also really like about him dropping that bomb at judges' table was like, I, I, I bet that the you know, producers are kicking themselves like, why didn't we get that sound bite sooner? Because that could have been his whole story arc, right? Like, yeah. it could have been like, oh, here he comes. Like, better not. I, I just could see them drawing that out for a whole episode. I'm really glad they didn't. Because yes. it felt kind of more earned and exciting. That is such a good point. Okay. Now let's talk about Mike Isabella in here. So I love Mike's smugness here because he clearly is like, oh, I attached myself to Michael Voltaggio. I like he clearly is taking this as a group win, but sort of in a very surprising turn of events, does not take credit for the dish. He's like, you know, right. that was Mike's. My, he obviously thinks that they loved the shrimp just as much as they loved the pork. So he's like, oh, I'm gonna get my moment to shine now too. But he's just like the smugness of it, and I'm annoyed because it gives him a false sense of accomplishment. But then, I mean, I, I think that's kind of what I like, though. They really like, built him yeah. up, and I think that then there's this incredible curveball when Padma says, "And Mike, we'd like to see you too." Yeah, for the bottom. We're, when we're getting people back. Oh for the bottom. my god, that twist! You just <laughs> see his face, and it. Honestly, I was really happy because I didn't want him to get away with it. Yeah, and he did not. Let's talk about the bottom. The bottom. On the bottom, we have Mike. I. Um, in my notes, I just said, oh shit, Mike gets the surprise that he's coming yes. back. We have Preeti, we have Lorene, um, and I think... That's it. That's it for the bottom of this episode. Um, yeah, I, I made a note here, quote, yo, this was a spicy bottom with a I whole said, latitude. 
mine. Okay, this was a spicy one. This was, I mean, wow. Like, <laughs> the energy coming in on the pasta salad, like, all I want to know is who fucking made the pasta salad. Like, that people were not owning up to that idea. Like, that was, like, a real moment between Lorraine and Preeti. Who do you and, think it was? Who do you think it was? Uh, I mean, I like to think it's Preeti because she, you know, skipping ahead, but Preeti is eliminated. Spoiler um, But, you know, Lorraine had the craziest, like, like comment which was complete you know at one point i just completely forgot about the challenge and she catches herself she says oh that was a bad answer and tom's like yeah it was <laughs> i thought that was such like did she go into like a fugue state and like forget where she was like did she at no point think like why am i in this airplane hangar cooking could it well, be that i'm on a competition reality show i do think that a lot of the chefs made this comment though about like this for them became a lot more about um being a good host or like giving giving the airmen and women like a good kind of meal and experience um she could have like maybe not like dialed that all the way up at judges <laughs> table but yeah I, I you know that was just absolutely insane and like yeah and i just want to like talk a little bit more about the preti thing i've said this a million times just preti's reactions at judges yeah. table are clearly not what they're looking for i think she got off with a warning on yeah. episode two and episode three, she didn't change her behavior and, you know, she got got. But okay, I want to read through my notes on this because it took a lot. Um, the first thing that Preachy said was, quote, for everything we had to work with, which Tom immediately interjected and said, you, everything was equal here. You had just as much information about the challenge and you were working with the same ingredients that everyone else was working with. So that's not an excuse. I'm happy they nipped that in the bud. And then Preachy with a comeback to that, said, did you think there was something inventive about clam chowder on a 90-degree oh, day? Again, not the behavior we're looking for here. Why also, do chefs do that? That happens. Like, sometimes they're like, well, what about this? Well, they're not on the bottom. Exactly. So clearly, yours was worse. Exactly. Like, so like it just, her, she's defensive, she's passive-aggressive, and it just is not a good look for her. And then... Um, yeah, so then the Lorene of it all. Her quote was, or they said, why didn't you try to cook a winning dish? Like, oh, you're yeah. on a competition show, why aren't you trying to win? That's just as off-putting to the judges. Yep. Um, and then Preeti's whole, I'd like no one to go home. And then Padma says, that's not going to happen because this is a competition. Like, they were really trying to dance around it and the judges were had lost their patience yeah. with her, I think. Um, I think she's had consistently poor performances. She doesn't seem... Not only does she seem resistant to feedback, she doesn't seem to understand that everyone else is playing the game differently than she is. Mm -hmm. And so her attitude to me is just really frustrating. I feel bad ragging on her, but I just can't get behind it. But I also want to talk about Mike I. Do you have anything else you want to say on this front? No, no. Let's go Mike I. He's pissed. He's pissed. I mean, and he, I think, is maybe the first chef to ever be on the top and the bottom. Does that happen? I well, no, um, Ash, Ashley, the week before, oh, had the right. watermelon carpaccio. And no, but she wasn't... She wasn't on the bottom. Right. She wasn't up for elimination, but she had that dichotomy. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so he's pissed. It was bland, it was under-seasoned, and it had no flavor. Tom Colicchio. I just need to, like, who... I just think shrimp on a salad is just disgusting. Like, I've never... I would never associate that with, like, a high brow meal or haute cuisine or just like anything that wasn't like again sort of like the beach side 
like seafood shack like you know it's like you're getting like a caesar salad and you have like the seven dollar option to add shrimp like that's what this dish is in my mind so i just don't know why he went there yes i I mean i am famously not a shrimp eater so it's never gonna call to me but um i love that mike i spent the whole first half of judges table when he was on the top you know feeling like he had won the game and then he the second he's on the bottom he tries to play it like he was doing the team a favor like he went out of his way I didn't have to do this and then the judges say well then why did you right right. you know he can make excuses all day long but they're gonna poke holes in it and it brings us back to like what the judges want to see and you can tell that Tom is not entertained with his temper tantrum at all and Padma isn't but Gail has the zinger of this one on his dish where she says, I didn't taste acid, I didn't taste salt, and I didn't taste a lot of flavor. <laughs> and on a cooking competition, you got to hit those marks. Yeah. So Mike, I, you know, enjoy your time with Michael Voltaggio all you want, but you were the weak link in that. And mm. were it not for Michael Voltaggio, your ass would be grass. Yeah, that's for sure. And I kind of like knowing that. Um, so... Okay, another zinger. I actually don't remember what this was in reference to, but Gail had another zinger in the episode, which was, regardless of the emotion, that doesn't excuse him from making a flavorless dish. Oh, it was about my guy. Right. That was when they were just discussing it. Yeah. Gail's he really gets, coming out. He gets the note on being flavorless, like... A lot. A lot. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know about all of that. I think, you know, there was some d- disagreement on, like, oh, well, I was I was thinking this and this. I shouldn't have put it on the plate. And Pat was like, you shouldn't have put it on the plate. Like, yep. um, But, yeah. you know, with all that... Preeti's the one to go. Bye-bye. Um, she was a mess. She never really had her head in the game. And she was confused the whole time, I yeah. felt. So that pasta salad, Nance, are you eating it? You know what? Yeah, I'd eat that. Yeah. I mean, I think it wasn't disgusting. It wasn't, um, you know, episode one, the chili relleno. Right. Or episode two, what was the dish that went home last week? Um, oh, we're in the pool party. Uh... I said I wouldn't eat it. Oh, Eve's shrimp. Yep. Uh, This pasta salad, yeah. I'd eat a bland pasta salad. Would I like it? Nah. Who knows, yeah. What about you? Would you eat that? I'm not a pasta salad girl. Um, Didn't grow up eating it. I think that there's a lot of other stuff at like the barbecue I'm going to go for. Uh, Yeah, it's a no for me. Okay, well there we are. Um, Okay, the next thing we're going to do is do a deep dive into where are they now? Preeti. Um, So Preeti Mistri is still a chef. She lives in Oakland. She Her Instagram bio says that she is an activist. Um, she definitely is a huge activist in the LGBTQ community, which um, I think is interesting given her comments in the previous episode about how she didn't feel as strongly about marriage equality mm-hmm. um, as uh, Ashley. And I think that that just goes to show that the show really did her dirty with that one. Yeah, and I like, would go so far as to say this. The show probably just did her dirty overall. Yes, I would agree. Um, but what's she up to now? So she was the chef of Juhu Beach Club and Navi Kitchen, which was apparently very popular in Oakland. And I'm very excited to say that she was nominated not once, but twice for Best Chef of the West James Beard Awards, uh, 2017 and 2018. That's awesome. So I'm really happy to see that she got there. She clearly, you know... She was obviously young in her career here, and I think she probably, you know, really turned it around. She also seems to have a line of spices called Spice Walla, which look delicious. They're like Indian spice mixes. And I think, you know, I love that for her. She seems to be thriving and really happy. Um, She's the host of a podcast. I didn't quite catch what the podcast is called. Um, Her podcast is called 
Loading Dock Talk with Chef Preeti Mistry. Don't know what it's about, but That's cool. another podcast girly in the mix, so maybe we'll have you on. Woo! After we just shat on you for a while. No, that's great, though. I think, um, like, again, I, I said this in the first episode, but, like, just because you're not good on Top Chef doesn't mean you're not a, an incredible chef. It's yes. just there's such weird artificial, like, constraints that just, for whatever reason, like, you just don't want to, can't thrive in. And, like, I certainly couldn't. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay, judges table. Um, I'm going to go first this time. Hit it. Because I think mine's not as good as yours. And, right. you know, I just want to get it out of the way. I'm well, a little nervous. Let's do it. Let's hear it. Judges let's hear table, it. Nancy, uh, here we One go. One minute starting now. Butcher blocks on buffets. I have never been a fan. And here's why. Number one, the light. That red light beaming down on this piece of meat. You literally cannot see what the food looks like. It looks wholly unappetizing. I have never seen a piece of food under a warming light like that that I wanted to eat. And it could be cooked perfectly. Brian's meat was cooked perfectly, but it just looked so unappetizing. That's number one. Number two, it just feels so corny to me. It reminds me again, like wedding, all these like bar and bat mitzvahs I used to go to as a kid where like it just, you feel sort of like, please, so I want some more, like having to get served in that. And it just butcher blocks on a buffet. Do not do it for me. That's my judge's table time. I totally agree. I actually was... I had the thought earlier we that we didn't really like but like touch on that and I really wanted to because it was such a like an offensive like thing to the eye like when you your like eyes are running down that uh, down that station and you see it and you're just like oh god, god. I couldn't agree more. No. <laughs> couldn't agree okay, more. this is Bits's judges table one minute starting now. Okay, I'm sorry. This is the last time I'm going to talk about it. I know we've like really like beat this, but shrimp i just stop cooking shrimp god damn it don't cook shrimp on this show nobody cooks it well and beyond that like the the ways that people are wanting to use the shrimp like put it in a pasta like do anything else the ceviche i mean i just would prefer any other type of ceviche okay then to put it on a salad i already spoke on this but just like how do you, there's no way that, that that protein is integrated with anything else on the plate when you put it in a salad. Like, just so disgusting. I don't even have a lot more to say on it. I just, I really hope there's no more shrimp this season. I don't think my heart can take it. Um, I would have almost preferred that Mike, I went home with his shrimp because then it could just like... Send a message. Send a message. Like, you make shrimp, you're gonna go home. Um, so anyways... That's my judges table. We'll see if uh, if we see like any solid shrimp dishes this season, but I'm not holding my breath. That's yeah, sure. the shrimp also, <laughs> Las Vegas being a landlocked city, yeah. like the shrimp they're getting, it just doesn't look good. It looks like really big and meaty. And... Well, I mean, in, in the defense of Las Vegas, like they have to have like some great like yes, I know. coming we keep in. bragging on it. I know. It it's is just a fun. It's just capital. like a, such a dumb city. So um, it. The shrimp thing for me, yeah. And is shrimp the sleeper risotto? Honestly, it might be. I mean, we're seeing a lot more shrimp than even bacon. Yes. And I can think of one other season. It's a more recent one. I can't remember who it was, but there was a guy who went out for, I remember they called it squeaky shrimp. We'll get to that eventually. But like, clearly, I mean, I've never cooked shrimp, but clearly it's a hard thing to cook. But you know what? Neither you or I will be trying because we're just here to talk just to talk, talk <laughs> shit on shrimp. 
<laughs> well, anyway, that brings us out, that rounds us out for this episode. Episode three in the books. You know, stay tuned for episode four coming soon. Thank you for tuning in each time. This is Compliments to the Chef. Woo! See you next time.